Hello and welcome to Rearview, the show where we get to chat to the fascinating people from the motoring universe, learning how they got to where they are today. I'm Andrew and this is episode 42. I am delighted to be joined by Ken Tyndall, who is the Chief Technology Officer for an automotive security startup. Welcome to Rearview, Ken. I'd like to start off by asking, what is it you actually do? Uh, yeah, that, that's a very good question. Um, it, <laughs> it, it was uh, basically is, is uh, the uh, it's only necessary to have uh, to have existed for a very short period of time, um, because uh, the the job of, of my company are uh, we are in the last ditch to stop people getting onto the control buses inside cars, um, keep the bad guys out. Which seems quite important. Yes. Well, I'm no expert, but. <laughs> Well, it wasn't a problem until people started putting cars on the internet, and now they're on the internet. Uh, it's starting to become a problem. We, we've always had hacking of cars from you know, people take their uh, chip the engine management systems and, and stuff like that. So that's been going on for a long time, and there's a cat and mouse game because uh, the manufacturers don't want to stand behind a warranty of an engine that's been chipped and so on. So that's that's been mm-hmm. going on for a long time. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about here about um, people who can sit the other side of the planet in North Korea or somewhere and, uh, and and break into your vehicle while it's driving along the road and, and do things to it. Um, and more importantly, do things to many, many thousands of vehicles at the same time as they're driving. Yeah. And, and that's a whole different kettle of fish. Oh, excellent. Well, we will explore that uh, later on in this in this chat when I have donned my full enormous tinfoil hat. Yes. Um, to, because uh, anyone who follows me on Twitter knows that maybe once or twice an hour i may mention this sort of thing and harp on a little bit uh, because it worries it worries me greatly and it's and it's excellent to have you on because you're somebody who is actively working to lessen my worry so i like that i like you already uh-huh. <laughs> and so does the rest of twitter because then i probably won't bleat on as much <laughs> so this is good um but let's uh let's go back like i try to on these what i do is i try and find out when people first got interested in vehicles now, uh, I have absolutely no idea how interested you are in cars and whether it's just the technology side of things or whether it's the cars as well that you like. So this could be either normal, a normal part of the show or this could fall flat on its face here. <laughs> so I'm going to ask the question. Um, first of all, do you like cars? Yes. Well, oh, actually, there's, there's an <laughs> I, when I got into the car industry, because I, uh, I was doing my PhD in, um, in real-time systems design, and uh, I was in uh, Sweden at a fellowship. I happened to, to meet a guy from Volvo who had a very similar set of, uh, uh, of issues about how to send things up and down what was then brand new idea of putting a, a networks inside cars. Mm. Uh, and at that point in time, I didn't have a driving license. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't get a driving license until my, my mid-30s. So uh, um, it was a very – so I started the whole uh, car industry company uh, to, to do this real-time technology back in the 90s, and I, I didn't have a driving license and had to go to meetings with other people taking me and things. Because uh, you're and, important. Well, no, because... Uh, because <laughs> no, I that's had, how you've got to dress it up. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it was one of those things. If you don't learn early, you tend not to learn at all. There's quite a few of us kicking around who didn't. No, uh, I know. My, my brother didn't learn until much later. Uh, yeah. Because you adapt. You, you work your life... Yeah, you know, for us who, who drove from very, you know, from as soon as we could, almost, you know, our life has evolved in a way because we've got transport that we can jump in and drive at any time. And for other people, you you adapt to a different way of doing things. And um, yes. with my brother, it involved lots of lifts. Yes, but, uh... <laughs> yes, and trains, and yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's um, 
it's not as impossible as one might think, but uh, yeah, it starts to get to be a bit of a pain. So, but also uh, when you're in the car industry, um, you know, I'm in the technical side of it with software development and, and the electronics and stuff. But it get, uh, the petrol gets into your blood, and uh, so uh, I've been kind of infected uh, by, by it. So uh, yeah, I really got into cars, uh, and then at some point I thought this is crazy. I can be in the car industry for a few years and not have a driving license. It's really silly. Um, so, but what it does mean is that uh, because you come to it late, uh, you don't pay um, very high driving uh, insurance premiums, and uh, you can afford better cars. So I, I completely missed out on the phase of driving knackered old bangers uh, at university, kind of thing. So, <laughs> yeah, 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 the uh, the um, defining years. <laughs> yeah. So, so I've only ever really driven nice cars that have never broken down on me ev- ever. I think. Yeah, I don't oh, think I've ever had a car break down on me. There's no need to gloat, you know. There's no, what no well, it is. Like, so, so I mean, you think about it, it's a complete miracle of, uh, of engineering as I get in the car and I um, turn the key, press the button, and it works every time. Well, that is something that I think we forget. Yeah. <laughs> how, for as much as we knock a car for unreliability and in inverted commas and things going wrong, how often it works, considering that untrained, effectively shaved monkeys are behind the wheel, yeah. who will give it a wide variety of care from absolutely none at all to completely coddling it. And it has to deal with all those parameters and all that the road can throw at it and the weather and everything else. It's amazing how reliable they actually are. Uh, you know the the fact that I, we can leave cars parked up for a week or so, particularly the modern ones, um, and you just turn the key and it starts, and it's yeah. not a problem, and you just go, and you yeah. you get used to that. Whereas twenty thirty years ago, you'd be going, oh, I've left it for yeah. ten minutes, will it start? Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> and let alone going back further that than that. So uh, you know, the, for as much as we knock and we we mock stuff, it it is a phenomenal bit of engineering. Yes, that, that cars work for us. Yeah, and I, I think that's what's being rediscovered with all these startups. In oh yeah, we can do we do software, we write apps and databases, so we know technology. And then they come to build a car, and then they go, uh, actually, it's actually quite difficult. It's quite difficult to build a car to a price that works. Uh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and that's. Um, I think that must be very satisfying for some of the. Well, for all the manufacturers, but for for certainly some of the manufacturers that people have taken an aim at, yeah, and gone, well, we can do that. We can, we can easily knock that out of the park. And then they come along, and you go, it, it is not simple, is it? There are many many things you need to consider, and many things that you didn't think the customer demands, yeah, <laughs> and expects now oh, because we are yeah. we are. Um, What's the, what's the way, best way to put it? But we are spoiled, really. Yes, absolutely. I mean, because even if you you get you get in the cheapest car you can buy in the UK now, it's not a bad car in inverted commas. It will do the job. Generally, you know, if your job is to get from A to B, yes, and, and then take you back from B to A, you know, all cars will pretty much do that these days. You know, okay, and, there's more specialist ones, and safely and in comfort. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that wasn't yeah. true, as you say, thirty years ago. But now, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. We we much as we don't want to compliment anybody because we're British, but mm-hmm. um, you know, we we do. I, I do have to doff my hat 
quite often to the to the manufacturers for doing a, a fantastic job of that. And you know that's the reason why it costs so much to get a car on the road, and that's why yes. and part of and that is a, a big part of why the cars are expensive these days, is because they work. <laughs> generally yes i mean so. it's, it's it's billions of dollars and four or five years of, of development it's kind of almost a space race yeah type, type project for every new car platform it's incredible yeah, it um, must be exhausting to be on the inside of that yeah well we just take these things for granted and uh uh yeah and the thing i think is when you're on the inside because uh, because i came from the computer science uh you know, university uh, side of it uh, from the outside and and it, you don't appreciate and, and until it you can appreciate you'll be told things intellectually but you don't really feel it until you've been talking to people and been in the industry long enough but there are thousands and thousands of little tiny tiny details of oh i didn't think of that oh i never thought of that that the industry knows about um in, in its own blood um and uh from the outside you just you, you, you don't even think of them because they don't crop up as, as issues mm. um all sorts of little tiny, for example, uh, um, climate control systems. They don't actually, they're not a thermostat that keeps the car at a certain temperature. They're much more complicated than that. They actually know what the weather outside is doing and have a guess at how you're feeling. So if it's sunny outside, you feel hotter than you really are. Mm. So they, they sort of crank the air conditioning up a little bit. And if it's uh, wet and rainy and horrible outside, you feel cold, just like you do when you watch a movie in a, uh, and there's a snowstorm scene. Um, mm. and, and how you feel in the car. And, and if they just set the temperature to exactly what the temperature was, you'd constantly be fiddling with it and complaining about the, uh, uh, the air cons never right. Um, and they've learned this through years and years of experience, and it, it's just one of these. There are thousands of these little tiny details. Um, you park your car, car at the airport. The airport radar sweeps every few seconds, and it actually causes a little electrical spike through uh, through the electronics in the car. Um, and in the very early days, people would park their cars at the airport and come back when the battery is flat because all the electronics was kept awake. Um, and again, you wouldn't know this. No one ever tells you this. It's only the sort of thing you find out over a beer at a conference or something. But if you mm. come from the outside and you say, oh, we can build cars, it's like, eh, you can't. <laughs> Not unless you've had a lot of beers at a lot of people at a lot of conferences. <laughs> But the, but not only if they, is is the, is the solution being come to you know the, there is a solution to this problem, but somebody's had to think about that solution and yeah. spend time yeah and work out and you just go well that that's not cheap to get someone to think about things is not cheap exactly and, you know people are expensive let alone coming up with the solution but to think about oh there's a problem why is that da, 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 da. you know it's just yeah uh, like I say much as I'm, I, I am quite happy to knock the car industry <laughs> if anyone, like i say if anyone's following me on twitter i am um but it is it is amazing what is done and all the stuff yeah. we don't get to see or, or or appreciate happens and that is part of uh, what i want um rear view to be about is you know i want to educate myself uh, and i want everybody i'd like everybody who listens to get a good understanding of you know that it is so complicated and it covers such a such a wide range of things and people whether it's enjoying the car or racing them or building them or designing them or writing or creating content about them whatever it is there are so many people that this touches it's such a massive industry in the uk which i think uh that's one of the pluses of brexit in my opinion is now the general public is aware how important to this country the car industry is yes 
because it is being used as a poster child of please get the negotiations right because it will <laughs> impact us a lot here. Oh, yes. Yeah, well, the supply um, chain has is, is been hidden from view because uh, you only get to see the final car um, on the street. You don't get to see the uh, huge supply chain behind it. Yeah, and, and the number of companies that have technology and research in this country as well. And um, I mean, I, I've, I've mentioned this before, but the Top Gear program where they decided to get together all the manufacturing that happens to do with motorized vehicles in the UK and get them to line up down from Buckingham Palace, I thought was one of the best things they've ever done because it really showed how how much of this country's manufacturing that apparently we don't have either, which is... <laughs> that's we started on that one. <laughs> yeah, no, that's one of my pet peeves as well. <laughs> no. we, we make quite a lot of stuff, actually. We yeah. do a good job at it as well. <laughs> exactly. You know, we, we're very good at knocking ourselves here. Yeah. Yeah. But um, it, it was amazing to see the variety of things that we do. Uh, but anyway, sorry, again, I've gone several minutes there have been complimentary to many people. So <laughs> I, I shall have to stop that. Um <laughs> Right, so you were you interested in cars as a kid? No, not at all. It was computers, was it, or was it? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, what what was your era of computer um, technology then? Oh, that was the the uh, the ZX eighty one and the the VIC twenty and Commodore sixty four and you know all that eighties eighties home computing. <laughs> okay, right. We are we are very much of a similar age then. That's all right. I I had a. Um, or my dad had a Commodore 64 that I used to play games on. Yep. Um, yep. I, I could never program or anything like that, but uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, no, well, I, I know where you're coming from. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and so uh, what was what was the fascination with the computers for you? Um, it, it's, it's kind of like um, um, architecture in the sense that you're constructing stuff, but you're doing it in, um, in a, an imaginary space, but you're still building something. Um, but engineering is uh is is hard for two reasons there's there's all the design and uh sort of conceptual work and then there's the actual physical machining and uh, and so on and i was never very good at the 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 physical machining side of stuff um you know i was a terrible at uh metal work at school with lathe operating and stuff like i could not lose my fingers but with computers you can have all of the conceptual design effectively um and then the uh, the assembling of it is in is in in software in so did you did you have to because in i mean software engineering is in is typing down lines of code which will become a thing at the other end whether whatever that thing is but do you are you see but this is something i couldn't grasp with with coding because i I tried to learn it a couple of times quite half-heartedly because i'm lazy but um you know, where's the plug and play, please? Thank you very much. <laughs> but do you have to then take the words and visualize it in your mind? Well, the actual coding is normally a very small, small part of the overall job. It's 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 conceptually um, putting together pieces of of uh, you know breaking down a problem into multiple stages and multiple pieces, and uh, seeing how they're going to interact with each other, choosing algorithms that. That optimize a certain performance uh, speed or, or whatever, um, and and how they glue together, and then how you test it, um, uh, and how it gets put into the final final shape of how it gets put out there. Most of my my uh, my career has been in uh, in embedded systems, so that's where the computer is is a is a chip or a, a small thing that's embedded inside something else. 
uh, and it's the whole thing that works. So it's all about sensors and um, actuators controlling um, pieces of machinery, which is, of course, where where cars are. I mean, they call it mechatronics because it's a combination of mechanical systems and electronics, and then the software in the electronics. And the whole thing is the is the product. So in the old days, you would have had <clears throat> like in those those regulators in steam engines there were little sort of spinning things the balls that uh, rise up to open the valves and so on mm-hmm. um, and all of that is done uh, with a computer that says how fast it's going slow it down speed it up um, mm. so so that's been since maybe the 70s 80s that's been the revolution in 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 mechanics it's, it's mechatronics and a big part of that is is software um um, and that's where most of my my career has been spent. What was the first language you were learning then? Oh, but basic, of course. Uh, basic, right? Yeah. Yes, of school. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's what everyone does. Well, did I don't know if they do that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have no idea what computer science, but I wait till my kids get older and then I'll I'll have a look. It's I'll be able Python. to see. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At the minute, in, in the school they're in, it's it's all iPads and just basically can you move something around a screen? So yeah, it's hardly. Um, stretching them i think they're they're so, yeah it's, it's about aptitude though isn't it it's about waking up and seeing who who likes it and mm. who's got the aptitude and then uh, that's exposing uh, ideas to people and then that's how you find out what you want to do isn't it yeah but i i think there's there seems to be some games out there that help uh, some people get a feel for it in a very simplistic and easy way sort of drag and drop type way to, to, under, to get a vague idea of what it actually means to to help to, to start creating processes that can be executed by a computer, laptop, a program, whatever. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I can see that my kids have been playing with a few things um, that way that they, you know, they put things in the right order order to make something happen. Um, yeah, yeah. And sometimes sometimes that that floats the boat, and sometimes it just doesn't. So yeah, yeah, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you were you're doing computers through school. This is a big thing, and you went off to uni to do uh, computer science. Computer science, computer? that's right. Yep, the yeah. computer science. Um, okay. And I took a year uh, year out on sandwich placement to go to Logica Space and Defense Systems, and I worked on the uh, the space station division there. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, that was kind of it was so cool. <laughs> it's, it is pretty cool actually. I got to go to uh, European Space Agency in uh, in Norvik, uh, oh, wow, stuff like that. It was it was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that was um, uh, the the um, Logica got the contract for the data management system, uh, the kind of onboard uh, information control system. Um, but it was very early days. Um, it was still called Columbus then. I mean, now it's the um, Freedom Space Station. Mm. The International Space Station, I think we just call it now. We had our our first kind of European um, uh, European crisis there, where we uh, we couldn't put any more money into the European Space Agency. It's it's a uh, it's kind of like the common agricultural policy of um, the way it's funded. Um, so each country puts in and then gets back effectively a share of the projects. Mm. Um, and uh, and at that point, Britain had cut the funding out to its uh, its space station stuff, and so in the end, the project uh, the project got shut down uh, mostly. Across across the UK. Oh, well, that's it. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, we've got we've got we've got a very good space industry in this country, um, but it's not in the space station part. <laughs> mm, yeah. Um. So you take a year out, you complete your degree. You you you've got clearly got a degree because you then go on to do a PhD, or did that's you right. do a master's after that? You went no, straight to PhD, did you? Yep. Yeah. Okay. As as one does. As, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So what was your PhD on? Uh, that was that was in real time systems. Um, okay. Which is about um, showing before you build a system that it will run fast enough for all the things it's required to do. Um, that sounds quite simple. Um, but uh, it's actually not. Yes, they um, just throw out PhDs to that all the time. Yeah. No, when, when you fire up your Windows desktop and so on, you don't really know how long it'll take to do anything. You know, you, mm. you, you press a key and sometimes it'll take two seconds because it's, it's busy doing something else or the disk is rattling away and, uh, and it gets stuck. So general mainstream computing is absolutely terrible if you've got to control something in a, you know, a thousandth of a second you've or a hundred thousandth of a second or a millionth of a second uh, and so for example if you're controlling uh, um, the spark timing for an engine and the fuel injection you have got the time it takes for the the cranks to move uh, 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 and the pistons to move in a certain position and if the computer doesn't get the answer on time um, then the engine fails and uh, pretty quickly your uh, customers are going to come back with uh, misfiring engine complaints and uh, and you're out of the business. So uh, we've had techniques in the past, uh, right back to the Apollo, Apollo space program and so on, um, of how to do this. But um, there's 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 ways of uh, squeezing more out of the uh, the uh, out of the computer uh, and other resources uh, to do the job. So that's what our PhD was in was basically if you can predict the worst case scenario is good enough then you can start to um, optimize the system to push that right up to the boundary of of because of, uh, of, you can prove that it's still good enough. So it was all into what's called scheduling theory to prove that you've got time to get around to do every job you need to do by all the times that those jobs need to be done by. Oh, okay. Well, that, that, so that's, uh, crikey, that's uh, one hell of a crazy wall you would have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if if you think, but, but so I mean, that's an awful lot of post-it notes if you're doing that, it, trying to map that out. But <laughs> well, that's I, um, actually that is exactly what people used to do, and in fact, in many industries they still do that. Is that it's not a post-it note; it's a giant flip chart, hmm. and uh, they draw a timeline and say, right, okay, so we'll do this a thousand times a second, um, and so uh, this thing will be done. But this thing doesn't need to be done a thousand times a second, so we'll do it every other one, and then in the gap that we've just made up every other slot. Thing, we'll do this and then you have a little pencil oh no but that won't quite fit and people literally draw a timeline and, and colored pencils and fill in little bits of time uh, slots that they give up to do different things and it's incredibly um, time consuming and then very fragile if you want to change something two years later <laughs> everything's all like locked up in stone so uh, it's it was, just it's it's process yeah. mapping and project planning yeah. but the problem the thing is instead of us talking about weeks and days and months you're talking about, or even years. You're, you, you know, it's naught point naught 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 of a second type thing is what exactly. you're talking about. Uh, exactly it's just the right. time scale is different, but the the actual yeah. process to do that is the same because you have to you have to understand the starting point. You have to understand where you want to be, and then it's filling the gaps in in between, and then seeing where there's where there's areas that that have. Um, the ability for you to tighten up or there's areas that you have underestimated time required and things like that. Yeah. That is, that is, it's basically exactly right. It's exactly, people do Gantt charts. That's how they used to do it. And, um, um, if you if you've got mathematics instead, you can let the, the, um, the mathematics and the software work out the schedule, uh, Mm. effectively dynamically inside the running system rather than, uh, having to do it on a big piece of paper and then lock it down. And that would allow you then to be able to throw in variables just to see what happens to the rest of the 
the thing, I, yes. I, pre- I presume. And then that's where you get your, um, oh, what do they call it? Um, um, where somebody is putting out projected ideas of how something could run. And then, <sighs> see, I, there I am doing doing a medium <laughs> in which I need to be able to say English languages and it's failed me incredibly. I'll remember it in about half an hour and it won't make any sense when I just blurt it out. But it's it's the scenarios. It's creating the different scenarios and seeing exactly. how that all fits in. And because you've got the the computing power behind you, you can you can do that relatively, in inverted commas, easily to see what the ramifications are of that. I exactly. Suppose. That's exactly it. So what it was is is it's it's basically mathematical equations that work out what the worst case possible sequence of events can be and then uh it takes a fraction of a second for the, you can even do it in a spreadsheet to to run the mathematics out to know that everything is going to work and then no matter what happens uh during the, the running of the system it's going to never step outside the bounds of the mathematics that you you applied uh, so it's, it's kind of like um, building a bridge when you do finite element analysis and work out the stresses and strains on each part of the bridge. And you know when the bridge has been built that uh, uh, it's guaranteed to, to, to hold up to all the traffic that's going to go over it. You know, mm. if, if, we built, if we built bridges the way we build desktop applications, then you would, you would be flinging a bridge up, drive a few things over it, it seems to work, open it for traffic. <laughs> Two years later, it fell down. Oh, well, we've got bridge 2.0 ready now. <laughs> minimum viable bridge yeah but exactly well that's exactly right minimum viable bridge yeah and we don't we don't do that always we, we thankfully did, uh, we didn't i don't know there's a there's a whole trend now of this whole this whole silicon valley culture infecting just ship other it. industries just ship it. yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's that, that worry, does yeah. that does make me cross sometimes yeah that makes I, I can understand with certain things that you, that is how you you move something forward, particularly if you are a very small company. And depending on what the thing is you're doing, that is actually a very viable and a realistic way in which to progress a product to get it to be really good. Most yes. things, though, that's not actually suitable for, because a lot of these things people rely on. Yes. And they're important. And maybe they start getting into safety critical and things yes. like that. And that sort of yes. attitude is not acceptable in those. And yes. that is why we do have people in fluorescent jacket with uh, clipboards saying, well, no, you can't do that because of health and safety. You know, the, the, yes. this stuff isn't being thrown in just to be awkward. You know, no, nobody, that's, wakes that's... Up, nobody wakes up every morning and goes, my job today is just to be a pain in the backside and slow people down. Nobody does that. No. <laughs> they go, I don't want you to get hurt or I don't want these people to get hurt or this to fail or whatever. And uh, yeah, I, I wish we'd just slow down a little bit yeah. on some things. Yeah, no, it's, it's, you're right. It's if someone is going to really rely on it, uh, a telephone that's going to make an emergency call. Um, so the phone system is very different from the mobile phone system because hmm. mobile phones aren't aren't to be, aren't to be guaranteed or Skype is not guaranteed for uh, you know no one's going to make rely on on being able to make an emergency call through Wi-Fi. Um, but uh, when you get in your car or when you get in an aeroplane, uh, you're kind of relying on it's not a minimum viable aeroplane that was that was built. <laughs> Um, we laugh, but this... We're just this, testing this, out some this, new screws on the wings. It, yeah. it should be fine. We, we, we've, we've run it through the spreadsheet. Yeah, well, this is starting to come into the car industry from this kind oh, of yeah. crazy autonomous vehicle stuff. It's, it's really, really... It's, I don't mind... If for rapid R&D and you're on test tracks and, and stuff like that, it's a it's completely different kettle of fish. But 
starting to ship cars out onto the road of like, oh, we've got 10,000 cars. That's our plan. And uh, we're going to test this by driving it uh, um, outside schools where, where kids are on bicycles and stuff. It's like, this is just a totally unacceptable way of, uh, of, of doing any kind of... Well, no, no it's, no, it's not acceptable to do that. And it's not acceptable to put it in the hands of the public who are not trained or employed to specifically be sitting there waiting to take over at the fraction of a fraction of a second and oh, wrestle yeah. control safely back from the the autonomous system and prevent a bad incident. Yeah. To, to put it in the in, in the public's hands is that is that can never be acceptable because people expect these things to work and they expect them to work every time and flawlessly. Whether that's realistic or not well, they they do, and in fact, we're having a massive airbag lawsuit that's been rumbling on for, for I don't know how long it is now, uh, with Takata uh, airbag defects. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know how many people have died uh, allegedly from that, but um, we expect these things to work, and we expect our our vehicles to be safe. And uh, it's no good saying, oh well, you know, you don't expect your app to work, and you expect your phone to work. Um, it's not that's two and a half ton of metal traveling no. <laughs> at sixty mile an hour. <laughs> no, so I, I this exactly, and I just don't. There's a c- complete culture mismatch here. Um, and yeah, the you, in- you losing half an hour's bit of work because a word processing app has crashed is a bit annoying. That yeah. sort of catastrophe in a car is a bit more than annoying. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, in the end, you'll get sued to oblivion. But uh, mm. it's much better if we don't go through this process of a 10-year lawsuit and class actions and, and deaths and things. It's much better to actually do what we do quite well. And we've learned over five, six, seven decades of how to do these things and not to make mistakes that we used to make in the past all over again. Um, I mean, the whole the whole field of safety critical uh, software really came about in the early 80s after um, things started to go wrong and people started to die from uh, badly engineered software and so a lot of the laws and regulations and standards were, were built up then and we seem to be just ready to chuck it all in the bin because of a nice interesting toy technology that's coming out which was yeah. maybe, maybe never even actually is workable or safe um, so it may be like a flying car type thing and will never actually be practical yeah, um, and yeah. we seem to be willing to throw all of what we've learned in the bin uh, in pursuit of this this disruption, innovation, whatever. Yeah, well, the, there's a massive uh, intellectual land grab on that stuff, not just from companies but governments. Governments are tripping over themselves to remove legislation, to remove <laughs> safety aspects for for us. That we know we're we're employing yeah. these governments to look after us. And they are desperately trying to bring in things that make it easier for these companies, for companies to, to put out testing on public roads. And I'm sorry, but that's not acceptable unless it's under very strict control and it's in a very small minority of places. And there's things like trained engineers behind the wheel or who have kill switches to take over and things like that. But members of the public... That, that at yeah. no level <laughs> is it acceptable for beta testing, whether that's in inverted commas or somebody else's interpretation of beta, but for for the public to be testing and giving the feedback because a company doesn't have enough engineers to do this themselves or they're not prepared to take the time to do this. 
yeah. is is not acceptable. No, I, I don't. Uh, well, I, it's actually not legal. And the, although politicians can can change regulations, they can't overturn tort law. Um, this goes deep into a constitution of a country. So in, in the end, if the politicians don't uh, uh, regulate it properly, the lawyers will. Mm. Um, it'll just have to be after a lot of time and money and heartache. Um, so yeah. we might as well yeah. get this right now. Well, okay, if, if, if this technology is going to come in and I can see, I can definitely see the advantages for autonomous vehicles. I mean, this, this was something I thought we, I wanted to explore later, but we're, we're here now, so let's, let's dive a little bit into this. Um, but autonomous vehicles in the fuller sense of it, not driving aids is which what we've got now yeah um but or if the infamous level five yeah that there are many people who don't think that's the levels are not sufficient but anyway scooting over that but this is what everybody acknowledges is the ultimate aim is level five where the car will you will hail a car somehow it will come you will get in it will take you to your destination you will get out and then it'll just naff off somewhere yes go and go and pick someone else up or whatever the yes transportation disruption Yes. system is at that yes, point <laughs> exactly yes and then everyone's worrying about all the different um social aspects of all that yeah that's, that's exactly right yeah yeah so if to get to that to get to that <laughs> point um that is not going to happen anytime soon in the wider it's sense impossible. of this country and this society because and i think one of the fundamental thing there's there's a couple of things but one of the fundamental things is uh people are still behind the wheel of so many vehicles. So this will be a small minority of cars or vehicles, and it will have to be in a small minority of areas. So effectively what we're going to be creating in any meaningful way for some time, uh, when they eventually can get here as well, I mean, I'm, there's a lot of ifs and buts and ands I'm putting in here, but when they get here, is they will run certain routes and they will have to have their own lane to do that. And you're basically creating small buses Yes, I think there's a uh, there's a possibility of it of it working on highways because they are a much more constrained environment and in certain you times, mean like motorways and dual carriageways, yes, things yes, like that, where yes. where there is a, a, an easy demarcation at the side of the roads and in the lanes in between. Yes, and, 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 and all the cars be behave. Yeah, and they behave in a very much more. I mean, it's much easier, much 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 safer and easier to drive on a motorway than it is to drive. Um, in, in a town or on the streets mm-hmm. and so on, so and we all experience that. So, uh, and and you you know you know from that driving, your your level of awareness is a different type of awareness, and it's a much more uh, relaxing, um, calming way of driving, and, unless the roads are in a particular state. So you know that that's the sort of thing that a computer could, could notionally do, and there are huge problems, and this is why we get the level four versus five because. You know, LiDAR doesn't work in rain and snow and, and all these other things. Um, mm. Cameras with whiteout from, from snow and low sun on the horizon and so on. But um, on you know, ordinary conditions at ordinary times with a known environment, you, I could conceive that that becomes engineerable. Um, and who wouldn't want that? It's kind of nice uh, and yeah, safer, absolutely. potentially. For, for so many journeys that we do, they are a monotonous, dull chore. And for that sort of journey, and for and for so many people, driving is a chore. It's hard. They don't really want to do it. They're only doing it because they have to get somewhere. 
And for a lot of people, you know, it's getting to work and perhaps they're not happy about being in work. So they're already grumpy and unhappy before they get behind the wheel because they've had to, you know, get up at stupid o'clock in the morning to get somewhere. And, you know, so there's an awful lot of aspects that go into the fact someone is is in a car going somewhere, which I don't think we appreciate always. Uh, and uh, and is something we you know in my little corner of the internet i like i like to drive and a lot of the people i chat to really like to drive but we're very rare yes well i like to drive on certain times and then other times not and like you say some of it's tedious and uh i very much like to hand over to a computer that could do the job reliably and as safe as 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 well as safe as a human humans are actually actually pretty safe driving i know i know we all see terrible driving on the roads and so on but actually when you take a step back and look at the numbers it's mm. pretty good yeah. um what is it something about 100 million miles between fatalities 100 million driven miles between the fatality which is when you think about it it's actually really quite incredible i mean obviously that varies uh, uh you know so i think it's german autobahns are the uh, towards a very safe end and then obviously you can go into other parts of the world where uh, driving is completely crazy but um um, you know, when it's done well and, and engineered well, it can be an incredibly safe thing. Uh, yeah, and that's and that you know because what we hear all the time is how unsafe we are behind the wheel. Mm. Oh, humans, you you oh, you you as a driver, you're awful. You're you're just you know we're, we're we're being painted out to be almost like sleeping killers. Almost, we're just any moment we could be triggered into doing something awful. And there is that potential, but it's yes. not quite as bad it's as... not a balanced picture just just, no. just just talk about that i think um i think we're actually and and the thing is that's actually quite a hard uh threshold if you're going to say because we're seeing this crazy logic of of um, um whatever 85 percent of, of accidents are caused by human error so therefore if we put computers in charge they'll all be eliminated it's like <laughs> that, that's crazy it's, we all know software goes wrong mm. um uh so let, let's just take a step back i think someone uh, i think on twitter that said oh my, uh, you know humans drink and drive well my dog doesn't drink or drives but so if i put him in charge of driving the car is that going to actually car accidents i don't think so yes um, quite so it's a kind of a uh, it's 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 a lack of perspective and then when you look at the numbers and you say well you you test your your autonomous vehicle because um, we can't prove it works using any kind of you know real-time analysis like uh like i've See my PhD, and we can't use any uh, the safety standards for testing and so on. So we'll just drive it around a bit and see what happens, and then and then 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 it'll be safe. Well, you've got to drive millions of miles before you can be reasonably sure that it's safe. Well, yeah, and we've also got um, the, there's there's one particular very famous company in this realm that talks about how wonderfully safe they are, but they refuse to release any data. Yes. So you go well. That sounds wonderful, uh, and you know, to the point where they will not say say share the data with their own owners. Yes, and well, well you I sort think of go yes. well. Come on, you you can't make these claims without backing it up, and and you know, as a result, because uh, the internet likes to be very balanced and fair. Uh, as a result, there are sites now, and there are people that go. Can we think about that? And you know, there is a bit of a backlash going against these yes. claims, and people will will drag the data that they can they have got available and say, "Well, these claims are untrue because of X, Y, and Z just from this data." Uh, and 
And the problem is, it's be, it's becoming almost well. I mean, it isn't becoming, but it is very cultish now with uh, autonomous vehicles and electrified vehicles and internal combustion engines and human drivers. That you know, if you must see that this is good, and if you don't, then therefore you are evil, and it, and then it stops becoming a debate and it stops yeah. becoming constructive, yeah, exactly. and it's people just you know, if it, particularly if it's Twitter, say they just go on Twitter and then we're just shouting at each other, and that's not helpful because we. I want this technology to be successful because I think it can help so many people in so many different ways. Yep. Uh, and I and I think it's it, you know, like with a car right now is amazing feat of engineering. And I love the fact that we can create these things. So from that point of view, I want it to happen. But we need to do it in a in a controlled manner. Yes. And it needs to be so that we can show everyone that it's safe at every stage to get the confidence that's required because there's so many people that, you know, change is bad and we all fear, you know, many people yes. fear change. Yes. Yes. And this is, this is a big change to say to someone, get in this box and you have no, you're not touching anything. You're just going to sit there while it does the thing you've asked it to do. Yeah. And that <laughs> psychologically is a bit, is it will be a big step for people. It's a, well, I, I have my car self parks itself. You know, when in, in, in the um, parallel parking, and uh, it's still creepy to let go of the steering wheel and watch it turn it while <laughs> while it parks itself. And it's, because what happens if this is the one time it doesn't work? You know, and I'm I'm not because I've I, used I, Windows ninety five. I spent yeah. many years on you know yeah. things go wrong. <laughs> and I I you know I'm not worried about being killed by it because it's very low speed and you're, mm. you you feather the throttle and uh, and brake. That's your responsibility. So you know within that realms it's, it's, it's actually been very well engineered to be in a very safe uh, mode of use but uh to, to go from that to then on the motorway we're doing 70 70 miles an hour and and the wheel's moving itself and i'm just sitting behind it that's mm. actually pretty terrifying yeah um yeah it's pretty terrifying and uh i i, I, I don't know actually it's, it's a bit like parachuting and and, and so on it's that leap <laughs> I've never been parachuting. I'm not sure I'd be able to jump out the plane. And uh, it strikes me it's a very similar leap you have to take, yeah. a leap of faith. And uh, I don't, you know, with parachutes, there's people that pack them in a certain way. We know how to do that. And there's there's all kinds of, of procedures and so on <clears throat> based on experience we've gathered. And that's not where we are now with autonomous vehicles. Yeah. Uh, we're only and gathering I, I like... experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I like I like the fact that some manufacturers are making it very clear that this is just a driver assist. Yes. That we are not pretending or not even couching it in the language of autonomous in any shape or form. We are saying this is a driver assist, like this will keep you in the lane. There's lane keeping assist. And in the end you could actually come out of that lane if you wanted to if you overrode it, but it'll let you know you're doing it. Um, you know, that's that's the sort of level we're at in a practical sense today and there's sensors yes. that will say well actually you're getting close to something or there's a car coming from your blind spot and that sort of assist is i think useful for many many people for well for all of us yep. Yep. that sort of extra awareness of our surroundings it can only be a good thing well that's that's exactly where uh, uh you know that captain sully is uh, has been drafted in uh in the u.s to uh, to to help out with uh, mm. some of the sort of almost philosophical side of, of autonomous vehicles, and that that's his perspective, because that's where we've been with uh, with aircraft. Yeah. Um, 
and these but are that's p- not the pilot public assist. perception, is it? No. The, the public no. perception. No. Anytime anyone uses autonomous or autopilot or anything auto in the word, the perception is it does it. No matter what you say after, there's a little yes. switch has gone off in someone's head. The general public's head is gone. This does it all for me. We're fine. Yes. And that's not yes. right. You, you, and, and I have uh, again. I've banged on a lot of times about the language we use is critical over this. Yes. Yes. That's absolutely right. And I I think that I I think that's one of the few things I've seen to do with autonomous vehicles in a legislative manner or by the regulators that I've been really happy and pleased to see was when they got Captain Sully involved. Yes. Because I thought that was a brilliant step. They've taken someone from outside the industry, but who has experience in safety. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yes. It gives I, I me mean, some hope. <laughs> yeah. No. I. I. Um, uh, I, I guess uh, you read that excellent interview with uh, with Alex Roy. Uh, yeah. I did, and it, it was uh, it was philosophically absolutely spot on. And then uh, you know, and, and then all the technology cascades from those philosophical uh, uh, standpoints. Uh, and I think that was exactly exactly the right way of uh, of addressing the problem, uh, because I think we're looking at it uh, upside down. Um, mm. uh, and I think it's it's because the the tech industry is what I call dancing bearware. Um, it's it's a phrase that uh, that's, that uh, was coined by someone else some years ago to talk about uh, user interface design. Um, and so much of software and uh, and and kind of the tech side is is it's like a, a bear that's dancing. Is it doesn't dance actually dance very well. It's the fact that it dances at all is what is amazing. <laughs> And so when we see cars that steer themselves and drive, it's not that they actually do it very well. It's that it's amazing that they do it at all. And we're so focused on the amazement of the mm. dancing bear, we don't realize that that bear could savage us at any moment if it broke free of its leash. Um, yeah. And and I, and this this is a this is this is not what you get in a professional industry like like um, uh, like the airline industry and the avionic systems behind the aircraft. Is uh, is they're they're run by professionals and they've got a job to do and nobody is 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 the gee whiz dancing bear uh, sort of uh, amazement and when you come to the consumer side of things we all love to see amazing tech um, and uh, I think we need uh, we need some people standing behind that with a culture of like uh, this is ready and safe to go into the hands of the public. Well, you just look at uh, on I think it's National Geographic or one of one of the discovery type channels where they do air crash investigations, and you look at the the methodical way. Okay, it's reconstructed yeah. for us to see, but they they are talking to the real people who are involved in these investigations, and the methodical way in which they go through every scrap of evidence they can, and this this takes a long time to get to the point now where we are able to generally fly without an issue. Mm. You know, if we're talking percentage-wise, it's amazing how often we can fly and there are no problems. It's incredible. It really is. Again, you know, I say I'm amazed at how cars are, but, you know, we're flying in a brick in yeah. the sky at X hundreds of miles an hour and it works and we land and we go and do our thing. It's, it's incredible. I mean, I mean, uh, yes. Again, thirty, thirty, forty years ago, aircraft were crashing a lot. Uh, again, not not by, not relatively uh, compared to the miles flown, but uh, but today it's incredible, and it's it's exactly as a result of that work, methodical work by 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 people like like the NTSB who who uh, 
there's uh, there's a reporting system so that, that pilots can anonymously report um, design defects or bugs or operational errors or problems with their with the, with their uh, co-workers and serious safety things because nearly in nearly all cases somebody nearly died earlier and then when the accident happened uh, there was a foretaste of it somewhere and if you can if you can report on the foretaste of it and uh, and and catch it before it uh, turns into a disaster. And this is what's been going on for, for decades now in the airline industry. Well, because and, we have all this modeling software that we can we can extrapolate from that information. I mean, it's what we were talking about before with the, the you know, you were saying about those real-time, um, understanding what happens in real time. You know, it, it's, it, we've got the processes. We know how to do this. So it's just doing it on a, a different scale or with a different thing. And it's just, yes. it, it if we've got the info, we can we can make a difference, and that's that, that's a key thing. Because I noticed uh, in the last week or two, one of the proposals is for uh, that they were having discussions about. Now I don't I I haven't seen anything since, but was for manufacturers to share into a central depository their autonomous vehicle data as anonymized as it can be and without um, sort of specific uh, details that would give a competitor advantages for them all to learn quicker. Yes, well, I, I would have thought that would be a, a, the very minimum undertaking by the regulators with all the disengagements, uh, yeah. for example, to, uh, or by, as a matter of, of course, to, to be logged in a standardized format. Um, we, we, you know, we talk about disengagements as if it's some sort of benchmark for how often email crashes or whatever but disengagements are a total and utter failure of the autonomous vehicle in terms well, of self-driving so i don't absolutely. understand how they're being so treated so lightly it's a complete failure but the, but this is something that needs to be reported whenever a company comes out and says our car has just done you know five thousand miles across america and back again whatever it is uh autonomously yeah okay Show me the number of disengagements and show me how, you know, where they happen and all that. Now we can have a conversation because you could say, and like you said, you know, we worked perfectly well on the freeway. However, as soon as it went into a town, we had to drive it through town you know, or city. Or if we went on a country road, it just couldn't cope with that either. And you sort of go, well, now we're putting a more realistic picture yes. to this and we are therefore being able to manage the public's expectations on what the vehicle can do, which is so important. And I, you know, I go back to again, that the public really, really need to be, have it made clear to them, this vehicle will do these things and only these things. Please do not expect it to do this other stuff that perhaps you've got it in your head. It will do because it won't. Right, the, the old apocryphal story of the cruise control on the Winnebago yes. <laughs> crashing, which which is completely not true. They've even got a, a page on their website <laughs> explaining that it's a complete urban myth. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, but the, but yeah, but it that, is that it because the point. because we got YouTube videos, didn't we? Yeah. When yeah. when uh, you know we, when certain systems were out, we got YouTube videos of people sat in the back of the car having a pizza, going, "This is fantastic," yeah. and that wasn't stomped on. Yeah. from many different level areas and different people in to do with the industry and outside the industry and safety to say, no, that's wrong. Don't do that. Don't ever do that. That's not what it's there for. That is this, that you were lucky. It didn't all go horribly wrong and you're not dead and, or other people aren't hurt. But anyway, sorry, I've 
gone off on a bit of a hobby horse there, and um, uh, you know, I've I've got another hobby horse to get onto in a bit when we when we really dig into what you do as the day job. <laughs> <laughs> but so when you're what were the sort of things you were doing for your PhD? What were the sort of systems or areas that you were concentrating on? Uh, well, I was, I was actually funded by um, British Aerospace, and it was uh, uh, the uh, Airbus division. Um, okay. So it was uh, avionics uh, systems. Um, all right, so you're doing space, now avion car. doing all the cool stuff, <laughs> all the big toys. Yes. Well, yeah. Uh, I back, back then, the state of the art in avionics was um, – uh, about minimizing um, unscheduled maintenance um, mm-hmm. was, the, was the key issue. So, so if you had, um, you know, you've obviously experienced it with flying at some point is the aircraft will be out of service because some, some piece of electronics has failed, some diagnostics um, built-in test uh, thing flagged up an error and they can't fly without a new part. And it, for, so they need a new, a new control board for the engine or, or whatever. And you're then stuck and have to fly another plane in. And, of course, this is hugely, hugely expensive. Um, so so what they wanted then was um, the called line replaceable units. So you have generic pieces of uh, computing hardware in a rack. And then if they fail, you can just swap them for um, another one. Uh, and they're just generic parts instead of specific parts for each specific part of the aircraft. And then, um, and then the software can configure itself uh, and reconfigure itself around whatever resources within limit of whatever resources it's got so if, if, a, if, a, if a processor card dies and you've only got three instead of four um, you can downgrade the uh, the functionality and still fly okay um, so um, a lot of the in-cabin uh, control stuff for example you might uh, uh, in-flight entertainment so it might, might go because uh, uh, you didn't have the resources for that anymore but mm-hmm. um, all the critical functions can still work. And the idea is to take software components and be able to allocate them to across the, the resources uh, that's available. And to do that, you need to be able to know before you take off that everything is going to work throughout the entire duration of the flight. Uh, so it's no good saying, yeah, we think it's okay. Uh, and then you get to cruising altitude and find that actually the software keeps crashing because it can't run fast enough. Um, so all that scheduling has to be done. So it's like switching open taps and switching them off to let the flow go in different directions to yeah. where it's needed most, which thankfully is the critical systems. For- yeah. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of like rewiring. Because you know what, I'll, I'll do now. without a film if, as long as I can land all yeah. right. Thanks very much. Yeah, I mean, that, actually, the, the, infra, the, the, the um, entertainment systems are completely separate uh, uh, systems. But but the, the, the idea was yeah. that... Um, you could effectively rewire the software on the ground in uh, uh, in a short period of time um, and do all of its effectively uh, verification that it would work actually while on the ground um, and then uh, and, and then be able to take off safely um, in fact later on uh, I was involved in a, a project with uh, Volvo buses that was hmm. in fact taking exactly the same approach because buses had them scheduled. Uh, uh, taken out of service because the, the electronics for opening the door has failed. <clears throat> and again, it was uh, generic electronics with a standard wiring harness, but the software would reconfigure itself based on uh, the position and the, which wiring harness it was plugged into. So it would know. So you could take a, a control module out of the um, um, out of the rear uh, light cluster, for example, um, mm. uh, passenger lighting, and uh, plug it into the front door of the bus, and suddenly it would know that it was now a front door controller and it would reconfigure itself. And so uh, you could keep the bus going um, 
and uh, and then the spares they'd keep wouldn't be like a spare for each of 50 different control systems in the, in the bus. They'd be like five spares and they could go anywhere. So it's pretty much the same avionics concept, only only uh, applied to buses on the ground. That's amazing. So it's the same. Just from that, that engineering is just amazing to, to, to be able to do that. Well, I, I, we, we, uh, we designed it because uh, the way the buses are very different from cars, as I, I discovered, um, <laughs> is, uh, is the buses are actually uh, manufactured, but they, they don't include the full chassis. So then that goes to a coach builder. That um, So when they're sold, they're sold with all the kind of cut and shut. They're all chopped short. And then the coach builder welds extensions in to stretch the chassis out to the length needed oh, for the coach okay. it's, it's really strange but uh when you think about it it's like well that makes sense um but uh, it's never occurred to me so when you see them in the factory they're like little lego buses really short with short you see the front and the back yeah basically they're all sort of shunted Big together zipper in the middle they yeah. just unzip right. uh, uh, yeah, can bring so. in whatever middle we want now um yeah so and then you get fleet operators and so on so it's actually because it's again it's like more like an airline than it is like cars um mm. Uh, and it's professional fleet operators and, and so on. Um, and uh, the fleet operators want to do the programming. So unlike the car industry, where you would expect all of the engineering and the software to be done at the car man- uh, manufacturer and then made on the production line, here this is done post-delivery to organizations that run fleets or coach builders. Uh, and so they wanted to be able to program it. Um, and there's a there's a very old programming system based on, wiring up relays um, in the old days when control systems in the 50s used to be basically loads of relays uh, wired together um, or, almost clock, literally clockwork in some cases uh, and now what we do is we, you, you draw relays and, and so on um, but then it's a piece of software underneath that, that emulates a relay um, it's, it's called ladder logic and, uh, and so um, the system would allow people to draw the ladder logic and then they the software would chop up bits of it and put the bits of the ladder logic in the right places uh, to control the door switches and overhead lighting and so on. Um, and that's that was so what we what we were doing for our aircraft uh, pretty soon turned out to be extremely useful for for buses. Uh-huh. Yeah, from Airbus to Volvo bus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, but that, that's um, that, but that's really cool the way that it's being used in different, you know, in a different transport system, but you know, in a different thing. Yes, that perhaps you didn't, you know, the royal you there didn't think it would be um, applicable to, and then somebody's thought, well, actually, these are the similarities. If we take away these bits, that here are similarities yeah. in what we need. Oh, that's great. Let's go and take that. And I. I I like that level of clever thinking where someone's taken an idea from a different industry or a different uh, device and gone, but that's these bits are applicable here. Uh, that's that, that always fascinates fascinates me that someone can think laterally like that. Um, okay, so how long did it take you to get your PhD? Uh, three years, I think. Yeah. Okay, so you so you're working full time and doing a PhD, right? That's no problem, as one does. Um, and, and again, in this unique thing, because that's what a PhD needs to be. Yep. <laughs> Cracky. Yep. <laughs> um, so at, at the end of that, then, uh, you are uh, Dr. Tyndall then now. Uh, yep. And um, everyone bows and scrapes in front of you, <laughs> uh, obviously, <laughs> as they should. Uh, so what, what was your next move then? Were you still working? Well, um, I went and took a, a fellowship in uh, in Sweden. 
Um, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, the, the academia and uh, industry links in Sweden are very good. Uh, and so it didn't take long before I bumped into some people of Volvo who had um, the problem with multiplex in, uh, as, they, as, as it's called, uh, in cars. Um, up until, this is about the mid-90s, so up until the mid-90s, uh, cars were kind of separate systems flying in close formation. So powertrain, the engine and, uh, and gearbox and so on are, are very closely coupled um, and the door modules and you know, passenger side electronics, again, is its own separate thing. And all you had to do was uh, look at the amount of copper going into cars by weight to realize that uh, the growth in functionality and so on, it would literally mean by, by, by now that uh, a car would be solid copper. Uh, um, it was some, I can't remember the numbers now, but I think it was something heading towards 70 kilograms of copper. Uh, um, it, it was running out of control. Um, and the reason is, is, is every single signal you wanted to send, uh, every sensor value had to have its own wire, and it would go as analog oh, of course, or digital. Right. Yeah. And uh, you, so the wiring, uh, the wiring harnesses and the wiring loom was was immense. And then it just became a problem of putting wires ar- around the car. Uh, and of course, every single wire you have is a is a point of, of failure. Uh, under vibration and corrosion and, and so on. So wires are, are expensive, or more specifically, the ends of wires are expensive <laughs> as, as, they're, as they're put into the screw blocks and so on. Um, and obviously, in those days, you know, it's, it's not that long ago, but manufacturing techniques were not as tight as they are now. So there would be um, those those issues are added on top, uh, just, I, well, you know, just to the volume. Um, well, actually, I don't think wiring harness technology has really moved on a massive amount because it's um, it's one of the few things that that uh, can't really be automated. Um, okay. Uh, so, so actually, laying laying wiring harnesses out um, and uh, and threading them through the car is is still an extremely manual job. Even even making the basic harness and then installing it is is something that robots don't don't do. Um, and so, I think it's it, that's one of the areas that's that's been consistent, and that's that's because there's a, an unrepeatability element of, of, you know, of, of human input to it. That's, that's where um, reliability is. And they've been focusing very much on that for a long time. Um, you know, in the 60s, it was you know, a cliche about how bad the electronics was, or electrics. <laughs> um, and that's where a lot of effort, uh, particularly on connector blocks and stuff. In fact, if you go to any um, electronics distributor and, and look under automotive section for the connectors, <laughs> it's vast arrays of, of complicated waterproof connectors and, and uh, things they've got, because they've got, they've got to tolerate enormous temperature swings from sort of minus 50 to, to plus 50. Mm. Um, 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 and the vibration and dirt and humidity and so on, it's, it, it, well, what we're saying, it's a miracle that you can get cheap um, wiring that, that holds out across such an enormous environmental conditions. Yeah, I mean, we, we've become a bit, blasé is quite the right word, but you regularly see, oh, we've done Arctic testing of this car and the other, and, and people sort of seem to sort of shrug the shoulders and go, yeah, so what? And you think... No, no. Just think about that. It's it's got up to you know minus thirty, minus forty degrees, and then they'll go into the desert where it's plus that. Yep. And then just because we happen to live in a fairly temperate, quite controlled, you know, <clears> range <throat> of temperatures, it means it it should work all the time. Whereas they've taken out into these extremes to make sure it works in those as well. And yeah. Like, and and it's that whole trying to make something that will will hit all the conditions. Yet still 
is reasonably priced and is yeah. economical to the consumer. You know, it's amazing that that can happen. Uh, you know, much as I, again, I, I do mock and sometimes raise an eyebrow or two at prices of cars. And you you, you forget because we, we don't see these bits, but you forget what has to go into a car to get it onto a forecourt in Britain. You know, we're in a very niche little market here. These these companies are trying to sell these to everyone in the world. Yeah. They need to through economies of scale. Yeah, exactly. And it's yeah. No, no, that's it. That, well, yeah, okay. I I can see that with the wiring then. Yeah. Um, so so, so AI, AI hasn't fixed that yet. No. AI so is going to no, solve everything, isn't it? No. So so <laughs> it's still going to be. I think a lot of it is done in in Taiwan. There are some some specialist uh, factories there that uh, that thread. I think they're possibly, possibly fingers. Well, I think it's a spin out of um uh, of of textiles. Uh, mm, I think okay, it's yeah, a similar set of skills. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, so multiplex came along, which is basically let's put a single network cable through, um, and then send the messages digitally, um, and then they can all share one computer network. Because if you just get round and send them all fast enough, um, that'll do, won't it? Um, mm. Which is true, uh, but the big problem is then is is so tell me more about this fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've got to be really sure that it's fast enough and it's it's all very well uh, uh you know you could put the engine temperature on the uh on the dashboard that's not going to change very quickly you could put that there once every second and no one would really notice but um you better have the speedo updated a lot better than once a second yes please uh, yeah and then uh if you're going to send uh traction control messages backs and forwards you better make sure they really do go um on the network um yeah, yeah we, we we enjoy that quite quickly yeah. So yeah. So so there's a whole range of things you want to send uh, on the network, um, and at about that time, um, everyone was moving across to this multiplex system based on on CAN bus, which is is still with us today, um, based on uh, uh, some work done at Bosch, um, and uh, it's it's a almost perfectly designed uh, network for this for the job, because instead of sending very large chunks of data like you send over Ethernet and things in your in your office network this is sending very very small amounts of data you know the switch is on the switch is off the engine temperature is this this is the rpm uh, this is the you know the coolant temperatures and the, the door is open um, and it sends them um, in little tiny eight byte messages mm. up, to, up to eight byte messages and they're all tagged with a with an identifier but the identifier is uh, says how urgent it is so okay. basically it's a priority so You've got a whole load of um, jibber-jabbing going up and down the bus, and then you've got this really important message, which could even technically be fire the airbag. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just having a crash now. Would you like to, everyone like to? In fact, that's one of the messages they will send. Uh, we're having a crash now. Would everyone like to do their jobs? Uh, you, send, you, send, you send that information, you know, we're having a crash, and it has to go really, really quickly. Um, it has to get there so fast. Um, and uh, uh, so that gets a very high priority. And then your, you know, your engine temperature is um, is is pootling away in the background at a very low temp, a very low priority, and doesn't get in the way of. Uh, so, so effectively, it's a queue jumping system in effect. Doesn't suck up the bandwidth. Does it? No, exactly. So there's one bus, but um, there's there's a priority mechanism, so everyone can uh, gets gets to jump on according to how urgent they are. So, are there agreed standards for uh, the type well. of information, <laughs> or am I opening a can of worms? Uh, that that was that was and remains a, a, a huge can of worms. Um, 
Bones of contention, I'm guessing. Yeah. No, because there. There, there, there was a prevailing. Uh, uh, um, um, well, this is this is now into sort of design architecture. There was a prevailing idea that you would have this um, big red book. Uh, you know, this is your life type book that would mm. contain a detail of every message, of every type. And some cars would have it, and some wouldn't. So, you know, if you've got air suspension, you'd have air suspension messages, and then you, you, you wouldn't if you didn't, and so on. And then, and then you can just take an engine management system, plug it in, and it would listen to the things it needs to, send out the things it needs to, and everything would work. Um, and to a certain extent, they've achieved that with uh, um, in the truck industry. There's a standard called J1939, which is which is exactly that massive big red book. And because the way the truck industry is is a, Again, a bit like the bus industry, there's there's various integrators that put components and engines and things. You, you mix and match what you need. Mm. Um, you want them to different manufacturers stuff to talk to each other. Uh, the problem in the car industry with that, even even across your own car company, is very quickly that book gets out of date, and people a project pops up and says, "I I need this this new uh, electric steering technology. We need these messages." And they said, oh, okay. we don't, yeah, well, they're yeah. not in the book, are they? We never thought about that when we wrote the book. So we'll change the book. Well, we can't change the book because everyone's using the book. Yeah. Uh, so we need to so, have a committee to discuss the changes, yeah, et cetera, exactly. et cetera. And, and by and the time we, you've got through that, it's, it's progressed three or four times on. Well, it's got the, the book's got to go out to all the suppliers who are making yeah. all the components that go on the bus to talk to it. So and not put any price up. <laughs> oh, well, it's just, just a nightmare if you just did it alone, anything else. <laughs> there are just special departments or companies just to look after the book. Well, that's that is exactly uh, so. That's what we. That was the first thing that we discovered uh, uh, working um, was up until that point in time, most car companies had no systems integration departments because there were no systems to integrate. Mm. The engine, the engine department ran all the engine stuff and its electronics and had all its wiring harnesses, and the gearbox people had their stuff and you know the climate control people had their stuff they never needed to talk to each other except to work out physically where they'd go and so somebody would would do some 3d mapping about where all the bits of electronics would be fitted in the car but they never had to talk to each other and as soon as you've got a a bus with all this lovely information flying backs and forwards that you could make use of um, now you need to talk to each other and they were organizationally not set up for that so that was the, the biggest problem was was uh, was was uh, systems integration uh, so there needed to be a central role uh, which is looking after the book um, now what what we did at Volvo was was very different uh, uh, we had a kind of a digital book mm. um, and the digital book was programmed up with tools and you you, you um, had like a CAD system where you designed all the information flows and then the the book would be um, would be generated automatically, and instead of the um, the book then being printed and put into the hands of humans, it would actually be injected into each uh, uh, engine uh, uh, electronic control unit. Um, and the control unit itself and the software uh, we built uh, would automatically take uh, the information that the human had said, which is the signal value, like engine temperature and so on and then automatically um, pack it according to the book and that meant you could then change the book without needing to ask anybody okay yeah uh, and then reconfigure the vehicle um, with with the new book okay um, that, that so yeah well <laughs> it took a large number of years to get that kind of bedded in as a as an engineering technique because it was, it was it's such a novel thing and you've got to coordinate so many different uh, different groups of people mm. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's not, not, not easy. No, 
Uh, well, we, we came at it from, from the real-time scheduling thing side, which was how do you show that all these messages across the network are going to get there on time? And to do that, you need to apply the mathematics. Um, and the mathematics has certain assumptions of the way that you access the network um, so that you know if you're going to send... If you're going to send a coolant temperature, that you only send it at a certain rate and you don't send it too fast, otherwise you've taken too much bandwidth. So you send it at a certain profile. Hmm. Uh, and this is fairly standard uh, across the currency now. Is, is, is each each car uh, company will have its own systems integration group with a database of, of uh, messaging across the network and, and how all the messages are put into the different uh, messages on the network. Um, and And then you can do the timing analysis on that. Okay. Well, no, that, you know, wow. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's you sort of go, well, that, that sounds obvious now in hindsight. Well, it, well it, it is obvious as a concept. It's just uh, there's the thousands no. and thousands of steps of execution <laughs> required and flying across the planet to, 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 to help hold hands, hold the hands of everyone who's, who's introduced to this new way of working because it was a completely radical way. I mean, because at the same time, we were, we were moving to flash memory. Uh, across the industry because up till then everything had been what, what's, what's called mask ROM which means you write a piece of software it goes to the chip maker and then they they make a um, uh, a stencil effectively and they uh, they burn a chip uh, design and that's it fixed for the next five years <laughs> and it, it better be right first time because they're about to order 10 million chips with that software in it and you better not have any bugs yes quite <laughs> I, I, I talked I talk to a, a, a guy who had to sign one of those projects off, had to sign his name. I think it was a 10 million chip order. And he had to put his name to that. And oh. if uh, the, the software is correct. And, uh, yeah, he couldn't sleep for, for nights and nights and nights before signing that off. <laughs> I think he threw up. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that, blame him. Cause, that's that's, you know, that's the, $50 the, million. The dollars will of, stop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. $50 million. You can't throw that away. No. Uh, no, you can't. But so, no, it's yeah. dead easy to come into the motor industry and disrupt it, though. Dead easy. Well, right that's, for that's, that's the thing. <laughs> well, for, ex for example, if you look at the way the CAN controllers are uh, designed, because one of the things, to do the timing analysis, um, there's this problem in um, of the way that, to, because the network itself does all this thing I, I told you about, priority-based, so that mm. uh, you can jump the queue. Um, but if you've got multiple frames inside your ECU, which of course everyone does because there's lots and lots of signals coming out of engine management, um, you need to internally inside the, 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 the software have a, have a priority queue and so you could jump the queue because mm. if you don't do that, you get what's called priority inversion. So, so let's say you had coolant temperature and that's very, very low priority because it only needs to go once a second and, and, and everyone else can go ahead of it. It's kind of like, you know, you're the ambulance, you know, I'll pull over and let you go by. You're the really important fire the airbags message, so you go ahead. Mm. But if you are in a, a system that you've just queued them up as they happen to be generated, so engine coolant is at the front of your, your queue and then at the back of the queue, you've just decided you want to fire the airbags. Well, at the front the front of the queue won't be served for ages and ages because he's a really low priority message that's going out. Everyone else on the rest of the network is, uh, even though they're lower priority than the fire the airbag command, aren't uh, are, are blocking it effectively. So it's called priority inversion because everyone else on the network is uh, uh, is even though they're lower priority are blocking the really important stuff because it's stuck in a, in a queue behind the guy paying their pennies in at the, the bank. Um, yeah. 
we've all experienced this for real that, that someone urgent joins the back of the queue and there's no so you need to run the same process of a queue jumping system inside the the the, the um, inside the, the computer but um, the way the uh, most of the silicon was in the early days it, it didn't support that properly so i designed uh what's what's called a three buffer transmit that, that effectively you can cosh someone on the head <laughs> and if they and if, if they were being served they get to finish and if they weren't being served they get hoiked out the queue and then the um uh, the important stuff gets to gets to jump um and so if you look all the silicon today contains that three buffer design but hardly anyone knows why <laughs> Uh, it, but it all goes back to my PhD thesis. So if you see all these CAN controllers in all these automotive chips, uh, and then uh, hardly anyone knows how to use those three buffers. So I was looking at some autonomous uh, uh, vehicle software um, that's been open sourced recently. And I think you guess who. Yes, you yeah. probably guess who. And <laughs> how, how did they drive the CAN controller? So they, they have braking and steering messages. Mm. So they've hacked onto the network which is a terrible thing that they've done um, because they have no idea about the real-time performance of the network. They've got no idea what the manufacturer had uh, had profiled. They've just found what was going on and, and bodged it. So they send these really urgent, please steer the steering wheel to this angle because if you get that wrong or you don't do it in time, um, well, you're going off the edge of a cliff, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, so that really high-priority message, if it happens that there's some other low-priority message ahead of them in the queue, well, it's going to be delayed, and it might be delayed by half a second. Who knows what the bus load is at the time? Um, and so that steering command, now probably, when they test it, probably it's all right, because probably it didn't turn out that the low-priority message was probably not blocking up the queue, and probably the bus wasn't really busy at the time that that probably happened. But you know what? I don't <laughs> want to hear probably. No, precisely, because probably, because, yeah, you could take 10 cars <laughs> on a test track. And Call probably, me picky, but yeah. I don't like probably. Here. Well, in, in automotive, there's this thing about uh, uh, Murphy's Law, is if, if it can go wrong, when you've got millions of cars on the road being driven for hundreds of millions of hours, it will go wrong. <laughs> uh, and that, that's the thing is, if you look at the flying time, if you like, the flying hours of, of cars, they way in excess of any flying hours you have of an aircraft. Mm. I mean, hundreds of billions of uh, billions of hours of driving time. So if there is a, a, a one in a million chance that this was a, this is going to happen, well, when you've got a million cars on the road, it's going to happen all the time. Yeah. So somewhere, somewhere around the world, someone will go over the edge of a cliff. Uh, but, not today, because there's only like a few tens of these cars on the road, and they're only being driven for little bits and bobs. But as soon as it, so this is the problem with we, we see with 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 this this style of engineering we're getting from from the tech industry, is that sure in low low volumes where you're not hitting the numbers, and it's all intermittent stuff that oh I saw that but it never happened again so oh well I mean it's even called a Heisenbug one of these bugs that you look for it and it never comes again because you mm. look for it. Um, and that, yeah, when you're at low scale, but the problem is, is when, when it reaches the scale of deployment that everyone says is going to be the thing that disrupts society, blah, 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 at that scale, you're going to be finding these things going wrong all the time. Well, yeah, there's an infinite number of monkeys with an infinite number of steering wheels. <laughs> that is exactly what's, what's happening. And so you, you must, and that's why the whole safety critical software thing is based around the idea that upfront, before you build it, before you ship it, you prove all possible interactions can never lead to a, an unsafe state. 
Um, and so that's what the real-time analysis uh, is part of. It's just one part of a, a wider piece of engineering that, that is done for these systems, is that you prove that all the messages can get there on time. So that's part of the job done. And then inside the software, you prove that once you've got the data, you prove that it could always it's never going to go wrong and lead to an unsafe state. And you can prove that when it was generated, it was never badly generated and, and so on. Um, well, I mean, I was, uh, I've been concerned about this sort of stuff for a while. And having this chat with you now has reassured me on one level and then made me even more worried on another level. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but, um, I mean, because one, you know, there are, there are ways to deal with this. There are already ways to deal with this and ways to plan for this now in in the industry that just need to be adopted and used. And uh, well, I'm not so sure about that because a lot of this autonomous vehicle stuff is using AI technology. And, of course, AI these days means anything that I didn't understand how it worked, therefore it's smart. But but um, <laughs> but actually, when you, when, you, when you delve into it, a lot of it is what's, what's, what's called machine learning. It's where you show it a picture of a cycle and you show it another picture of a cycle and you take some video of a cyclist and you say, and then eventually you say, that's a cyclist, that's a cyclist, that's a cyclist, that's a cyclist. And eventually it learns that's a cyclist. Um, and then uh, you take it another day and it, it doesn't see it's a cyclist and you go, oh, well, this was a cloudy day, so I better train it on a cloudy day. And then uh, after a few more times, it learns what a cyclist on a cloudy day looks like and so on and so on. Mm. But how do you ever know that it's always going to spot a cyclist when there's a cyclist? Well, you don't. You don't even know. It's basically it's this magic black box algorithm, and it's been trained and it's learned and it's adapted. And it's got all these sort of bizarre little tune-up things that it's sort of self-defined, and nobody can point to that and say, when this is what happens comes in, this is what happens when it goes out. You don't know. Uh, it could be a slightly different weather pattern. It could be a slightly different shaped bicycle. It could be a fat guy on a bicycle that is never seen before. You've got no idea from one moment to the next, whether it's going to work or not. And that is completely incompatible with how we engineer safety systems. When we do, it, when we do safety systems, but, um, the, air, the, air, the airline, uh, the aerospace uh, industry, and the, avion, uh, the avionics engineering is particularly, uh, probably one of the best at this, but you've got railway signaling and medical devices and so on. And, and the whole engineering, safety engineering, is based on um, predictability that uh, uh, a known set of uh, inputs within a known range of, uh, of inputs will always produce a safe state on the outputs um, now sometimes when you've got sort of magicy bits you can often put in what's called a safety interlock so that if there's a no, as long as you can restore the vehicle to a safe state um, so uh, so for example if uh, if you had an engine management system um, that could allow the engine to run and over rev and explode um, mm. Uh, but you had a really nice algorithm for, for tuning up fuel efficiency, but you couldn't prove how, how you know, it mostly worked for, did a great job at fuel efficiency on average, but every now and then uh, it caused the engine to explode. <laughs> <You know. laughs> that would be that would be a problem. But if you can have a, a rev limiter that was a very simple piece of electronics with a transistor and a capacitor and a little tiny chip or something, and you prove that that stopped it from ever exploding, then you could have your magic algorithms in there. If you see what I mean. So there's like a, a fallback safety system, mm -hmm. safe, a fail-safe that can't be overridden, and that's how you could do a lot of a lot of uh, stuff. But I, I can't see how you can do that with with uh, autonomous vehicles. How do you know what the safe state of a steering wheel angle is, 
Well, you don't. This camera that's stuck in your windscreen connected to an Android phone has, thinks it sees white lines on the road and it thinks the road is bending left and it thinks the car's got to go left by 12 degrees. Well, you can't. There's no... <laughs> that's the magic box has decided that. There's no independent way of saying there's a cliff. <laughs> if I steer 10 degrees, I'll go over the edge. Mm. Um, so so what, what do we do about this then? Well, I think fundamentally that it, it can't work in the kinds of unanticipated environments we're talking about. So so we go back to in controlled areas, but small, you know, and this is inverted commas, small areas of the transportation system, this, yes. this type of system can work. Yes. So, for example, if you, again, going back to you on the motorway and you had uh, multiple sensors that could uh, detect obstacles fairly reliably and you had LIDAR cameras and radar and stuff and you fuse the sensors together using known control algorithms that have been around for a long time and you could probably build a, a, a safety state on that one. And again, um, you can bring a car to a halt fairly safely on, on a motorway uh, you know, because engines fail and you coast to a halt. And again, because it's a known environment, um, uh, and you say to the driver, right, the exit's coming up. I can't drive past the ex- uh, off the exit um, once I've left. Uh, automatic mode is turned off. So please, please wake up and take control. And if you please don't, please hold the steering wheel. Please hold the steering wheel and tell, and then uh, you know, click OK that you've you've understood that you've never got to take control. And if you don't, because you've fallen asleep, I will coast to a halt on the hard shoulder and set alarms off. You will off. be woken. So, and you will the, be woken. <laughs> Mr. When the fuzz comes and knocks on the window. Yeah. Yes. Well, <laughs> we'll, we'll dob you in to the, to the fuzz, yes. So yeah, well, I, they, I can see, yeah, they probably do that anyway. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, can see, I can see under certain cases, and also, you know, you've got GPS positioning, so you know where you are on the road. That, you know, mm. you could map very, very accurately the roads, so you know where the steering wheel angle is because you know fairly well uh, from uh, dead reckoning uh, uh, gyro based plus GPS, which is how aircraft navigate. They have a, uh, they don't rely on GPS, but they augment um, other instrumentation. So you could you could do that, and you could have uh, blind spot detection stuff that's based on uh, you know physical sensors that that don't have any of this magic attached to them. Mm-hmm. So I, I can see that under certain certain cases you can you could do this safely but i i mean i've asked a lot of people and i just get blank looks or annoyed looks and silence because um, you've asked the question they didn't want asked yeah it, and i think I, i've talked to a lot of safety guys and stuff and either it's a, a question no one wants to answer or, or um it's unhelpful um, so this is why I say is it's not clear to me that we'll ever get to the point of having a um, autonomous vehicle that's that's Unless you're going for this, this drive it for millions of miles and only a few thousand people died, so it's safer. Mm, yeah. Which is legally acceptable, so. Yeah, it's socially, <laughs> socially frowned upon that. Yeah. This <laughs> is a route to, uh, to success. But it, do we also then need to stop this whole because um, one of the one of the claims about autonomous vehicles is it's going to save lives do we need to start actually saying as safe as a human would be an awesome achievement well first of all uh, well, it goes back to my point is prove it yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, how, absolutely. how do you prove it Abs- absolutely we would need th- there would have to be data and information and you could only compare miles driven 
and, and that way and uh, well that's the problem isn't it is is when i've got uh, my adaptive cruise control and my uh, emergency braking systems today i could prove that the vehicle doesn't get into a, an unsafe state because it's using conventional engineering with known i could do fault tree analysis uh, uh, fmea analysis i can do uh, co-test coverage um, all sorts of analysis on on, uh, on the system. There's all sorts of uh, state-based control uh, analysis. I can do all of that, but with your magic box, uh, you say it's safer than a human, but the only way you could ever prove it's safer than a human is to drive it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of miles. And if it kills someone during those trials, at what point do you say it's not as safe as a human? Mm-hmm. After the first death? Well, is that a statistical fluke? And it was just a bit of bad luck. After the second, after the third. Well, we have to and keep then, and then to find out, don't we? Well, exactly. And it's like, <laughs> well, are you prepared for your kids to be run over as mm. part of this proof? And then if, if it turns out that it wasn't as safe as a human, all those people that, that were unnecessarily killed by it are going to be pretty angry. Under the premise, <laughs> under a premise as well. Yeah. An assumption. Yeah. Because this, at that point, it is it is attempting to be a scientific study, isn't it? Because yeah. it is, we have this assumption, and we are going to go through this process to come to see whether that assumption is correct or not. And and that assumption is for a particular set of circumstances of a particular set of trained software. But everyone keeps saying how it's going to self-learn and get better. So not only are we saying that this unknown black box software that we have to test by driving it a lot it, it, with real people around, mm. as soon as that software changes, you've undermined the experiment you're you're, you're doing. So maybe the software was fine on Monday across the world, but then there was an update issued based on feedback from all the other cars. That hasn't yeah. been tested. So that you have to start again. And supposing... supposing so you're always going back to zero. <laughs> so always I, going back to zero, unless you stick with the, with the same software and run that through. Um, but you are adding in... Uh, if you didn't update, you would be adding in the flaws to the software into your thing so then that makes it invalid anyway so there is no i, I don't i don't Crikey, see, we're getting I don't, quite yeah. uh i don't see a <laughs> this way is getting wheels among wheels here but i mean well, there isn't an easy way to as you say i i can totally see where you're saying then that um how can this be how can this have happened if we are relying on this black box of magic uh, of, of yes this witchcraft and just presume it will do a better job because that's what that is what we're being asked. Yeah, to that people are asserting now. that it's safer than humans because hu- human error causes all the accidents, and this is not a human, therefore it's safer. It's just utterly illogical. As you, as you said, my my dog doesn't uh, doesn't you know he, he he doesn't burn the toast, but he never makes toast. So that how yeah. is that relevant? Yeah. <laughs> hey, he's not human. He doesn't drink and drive. Yeah. Yeah. Put him in charge. Hey, we had that program on on dogs flying aircraft, so. <laughs> And that is the end of part one of my chat with Ken. Next week, we will discuss his car history and delve into connected car security. Thanks once again to Ken for coming on Rear View and chatting with me. I hope you found this episode as fascinating as I did. And if you want to suggest anyone I should ask to come on this show, please do get in touch. If you use the hashtag RearViewPod, we'll be guaranteed to see it here in Merging Podcast Towers. To get in touch with me directly, search for Crack Windscreen on Twitter. And if you like to keep up to date with motoring news, opinions and car reviews, go try out the sister show, which is the Motoring Podcast. Remember, you can support everything we do at the Motoring Podcast in a couple of ways. Please go to motoringpodcast.com forward slash support to see what they are. I would also really appreciate it if you could tell others about this show. 
I want as many people as possible to hear the stories of the wonderful guests who come on here. So until next time, that was Ken Tyndall, I've been Andrew Clues, and safe motoring. <laughs>